Hello, and welcome to episode 217 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for settling in to the Quickie Podcast in your eardrums. That didn't make sense, but I'm rolling with it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending some time here with us. Before I introduce today's guest, if you are a graphic designer, which is likely, if you aren't sure where to start with print design, or you're interested in learning more about graphic design for print and producing some gorgeous, amazing, tangible designs, get started with the free video training series over at printdesignacademy.com. It's free. There's not even like a hook or a sale or a pitch at the end. It's just, uh, here's the info. Please go print something. So head over to printdesignacademy.com. Learn a little bit of stuff. Won't hurt you. Printdesignacademy.com. So today, 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 today's guest is Keisha Greer. She is a graphic designer and a packaging designer. She's currently kicking it with the freelance game, but she used to design with Pier One Imports and specialized in packaging design over there. Keisha also shares with us that she was surrounded by creativity while she was younger and that kept that spark within her. We also talk about her transition to freelance, why it was the most challenging period of time in her career so far. Talk about the struggle with delegating and assigning the tasks. You know, when you when you want to take it on all yourself, but you need to prioritize your specialties and your skills, your strongest skills, and delegate the rest. Talk about the struggle with that. She then shares with us the Pier 1 Imports packaging design project she was a part of, why she's so proud of it, and it involved the redesign of hundreds of SKUs. And if you're familiar with Pier 1 Imports, you will be familiar with the packaging for these products. I guarantee you. They were famous for it. It is the most memorable thing I have from Pier 1 Imports. I loved it. You could, You know it as soon as you walk in to the store. I hope I didn't give too much away. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, this is a great conversation. Please fly on the wall. Enjoy this one. My guest, Keisha Greer. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Keisha. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we get too deep into it, I have to ask, are you ready for a quickie? Absolutely. Perfect. Well, let's dive right in then. Um, I always want to start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So I uh, started a creative studio um, back in 2018 called The Great Exhibition. Okay. Uh, And basically what I specialize in is printing um, or packaging and branding and um but i also you know offer other things um but i work with uh, other freelancers to bring them in so that my Mm -hmm. clients have the best of the best and i've been rocking at that for a 
couple years and I absolutely love it. I should have done it years ago. <laughs> That's always sort of the first sign is like, my God, why didn't I do this years ago? This yes. is so much more rewarding than I could have ever imagined. Yes. Absolutely. And print and packaging, that's speaking right to my heart. I'm a huge fan of print and packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I fell in love with packaging when I worked for Pier 1 Imports for about six years. Yeah. And that just exposed me to it. And I, yeah, it's like a drug now. <laughs> <I can't laughs> Perfect. So I want to just kick this back a little bit further and give me sort of the, the backstory on, on your journey to um, to, to freelance, to doing your own thing for the last couple of years? Like what, what was your first job in the game and, and how did that evolve to, to get to where you are now? Well, my first job, uh, was back in 2006, actually. Okay. Um, my very first job out of college, I worked for uh, Ross Perot's company out in Plano, Texas, uh, called, uh, Perot Systems. And I did a lot of different things for them. Uh, I started in the IT department, moved to the um, marketing department, healthcare department. I mean, you name it, I was all over the place and had my hands in a little bit of everything. Um, uh, learned to do a lot more um, like motion graphics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I moved to the marketing department, um, I really started to move into more print work. Um, I did a lot of uh, exhibits and things like that. And um, we would have a, a local printer come out and she taught me a lot about what's possible with print. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. Um, and so we did some direct mail pieces and things like that. And uh, there's something about sketching something out and then having it in your hands that, I mean, it's just, you can't get that with anything else. And so no. digital will never be my first choice. I'm always going to default to print. Um, yeah. And you know, those little challenges that you have with uh, color matching and things like that, that's stuff that I just eat up. I love it. Um, but yeah, that was my very first job. From there, I went to Pier 1 Imports. I was there for about six years. And the first six months, I think, weighed on me more than any other um, part of my career because it was just such a huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I almost gave up, but I didn't. And it's something that six, mo- since mo- six months just kind of clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I stuck it out because it, it's it was life changing. I learned so much, uh, and seeing that uh, my product uh, was not only in Texas where I am, but you know I travel to other states, Canada. You go into a store and you see your product. It's just it's a it's an amazing feeling, and knowing that I uh, could you know maybe watch TV and see a product on TV that I've worked on, That's and so cool. you know how widespread that it is. It's just uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I have to ask then, did you ever have a have an instance where somebody was standing in line at Pier 1 Imports holding the box or something you designed? Of course. And did I you did. like tap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, hey, I, I, I designed that? Well, not in line, no. I would go through the store and someone would, you know, maybe make a comment and yeah. I would say, oh my, you know, in my, in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's mine. <laughs> you know, <or laughs> so you I never said it, it out like, loud? No. Yes. Yes. I didn't say it out loud, but I'd be like, oh, that's a really nice product. You should really buy it. <laughs> you should buy that and then email Pier 1 and say, this is the best packaging you've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would often like run across blogs where people would comment on the design of the packaging. That's and cool. that was just, um, you know, it's it's great to see people love what you do. Yes. Um, there was a line of plush toys that I did some custom illustration for the tags and kind of gave them all you know, a personality and uh, the marketing department helped write a backstory for each one. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of, you know, people started collecting them. And it was just sort of this thing that people, you know, you start to have this like 
fan base of the products. Not, you know, it wasn't for me, right? I don't want that. I want it for, for the work that I'm doing. So, I mean, it was just awesome to be a part of that. The team there was absolutely amazing. I learned so much from so many different people. Mm-hmm. And um, just being there six years, you know, you, you, you start to put some roots in a company and, and make friends and that turn into family, you know? <laughs> That's cool. So you were brought yeah. onto that team specifically for print and packaging design. Yes, absolutely. I was a packaging designer. Cool. So yeah. Did you ever have any like? Did you do press checks? Was a lot of overseas yeah. printing stuff, but it was pretty. Was it a fair amount of local stuff too? Um, so some of it was local. Um, okay. Here one imports. So yeah, we did a lot of things overseas. Yeah. Um, some of the buyers would go over and do some checks for us, which was not ideal. But um, what basically what we did is we would send things off to the printer. Mm-hmm. They would send us press press checks through the mail, so we would get a print proof. And then we would have to uh, make notes um, on the actual um, printout, mm-hmm. take photos of those, send them back, um, and really kind of work through mail. So it was it was a slow process. I mean, we're working a year in advance, right? It's retail. Totally. Um, so we had a little bit of, of time there, and we always built in time for those checks for things that we knew were going to be a little bit tricky when, when mm-hmm. they came to you know, production time. That's cool. I love that. Okay, Keisha, I want to throw this back even further now, and I want to hear a little bit about your childhood. What was your childhood like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of steered you down this career path? Yeah, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, my mom sews. She's been sewing since she was eight. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother, you can literally give him any instrument, and he picks it up and plays it by ear, and he sings. My wow. dad was an architect, so I was just surrounded by creativity That's in some cool. ways. And it was just meant to be. Um, one of the things that I've shared in the past is um, we have a, a stretch of land, about 30 plus acres uh, in a, a place called Centerville, Texas. Mm-hmm. And we would often go down there because my grandfather was a pastor at the church down there. That's where my grandfather and uh, grandmother grew up. And so I would be in the car a lot. And so <laughs> I would have a CD player in the back and, um, you know, get down there that this is, of course, before Internet. And I would have my jewel cases for CDs with me and I would pull out the booklets and uh, basically redraw the type on a piece of paper. Nice. And I was doing hand lettering and I had no idea what that was. I didn't know this was a thing, (laughs) but I was practicing and I loved it. And I, you know, I was just trying my best to get as close to possible without tracing um, uh, the lettering. And, and looking back on that, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not know? But I wasn't exposed to this industry. I didn't know this was a thing until I was in high school, to be honest with you. Okay. So on those jewel cases, what what were the albums? I want to visualize these albums. What, <laughs> what are the artists? What are we What are we talking about here? Uh, a lot of like 90s, early 2000s are R&B. You know, think Janet Jackson. Yes. Think, uh, uh, oh, gosh. 702. I mean, you name it. <laughs> All the amazing stuff that you hear on Throwback Thursday now. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's awesome. All the old school now. Like, oh, no, it's not old. Please That's don't not say old. that. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So you're saying that you're, you're doing these jewel case things. You didn't really get introduced to what design was until yeah. high school. What was that moment? Was it a teacher? Was it a guidance counselor? How did you get introduced to design? Well, I had a um, 
multimedia class in high school, which is super rare. Um, so basically what I was taught was Flash, Dreamweaver, and Fireworks. <laughs> if you remember Fireworks. Flash, <laughs> I was going to say, was a fair <laughs> – speaking of old school. No, yeah, yeah. So um, I was taught uh, – I think I fell in love with Flash first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I saw the power of Dreamweaver and how you can, you know, sort of create a website. And, I, you know, that wasn't really my jam. My jam was, you know, really creating something that moved. Mm-hmm. Um, so – I was in that class and someone from the Art Institute of Dallas came to talk to the class and said, hey, you know, you, you, you can do this for a career. And, I, you know, I sat there. I'm, you know, senior, sophomore. I don't know what age I was. Mm-hmm. And I was I thought, you know, like a light bulb went off. Right. I can do this for a living. I can get paid <laughs> for this. Um, so I went home immediately and told my mom, hey, they're having an open house. This is what I want to do. I want to apply. And she said, Absolutely. And I went in thinking I was going into animation, but, you know, animation and graphic design at the Art Institute, the first semester is exactly the same. So um, I went in and I was introduced into the the principles of design. Um, I think the first couple of quarters of school, you don't touch a computer. It's all handwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just fell in love with that, you know, and I didn't want to switch over to animation after that. I was like, no, this is the thing. This is I the found thing. my place on Earth. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. What a cool moment that is. And to have like the, the parent support with that um, yeah. just makes all the difference in the world, you know, especially coming from that creative background, that creative family. Yeah. My mom has never um, put limits on, on any, any of us, um, my brother or myself. Um, she's always said that, you know, if you, if you want to do it, just do it and don't let anybody stand in your way. I never totally. thought about, you know, any sort of glass ceiling or anything like that. I just thought, okay, if I work hard enough, uh, it'll pay off. And mm-hmm. so far it's been working. Of course, you know, I have my, my hurdles and things like that. And, um, with just the way the world works, but you know, I'll persist. Keep awesome. going. So good. Keisha, is there one specific, um, design or illustration or piece of art that you saw at some point in that earlier journey that stands out as maybe the most influential design of your life so far? Um, I don't know if there's one particular thing. Um, I started to notice trends going on. And then um, the more I learn, <laughs> uh, Chris Doe, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yep. He has he has a hat that says God is a designer. Yes. He wears that a lot. And the more I learn about science and things like that and how, you know, animals work and that's all connected. I'm just like, wow, this is totally not by mistake. This is awesome. Um, God is the designer, you know, of of all of us. Um, So, I mean, you know, designing with purpose, designing um, with function and and mind has always been uh, my first love. Um, I never just want to create something that looks pretty. It always has to has to have a purpose and solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know if there's one thing that sparked that, but um, the more I take in, um, you know, design takes you any and everywhere you want to go. And the more I learn about the world and how it works, um, the more I, I understand that you know design is very very important for everyday life. So I'm not sure what sparked that and what mm-hmm. you know the inspiration point was. It's crazy when you look at it, like how design and and I've seen so many articles where they're taking, you know, close up pictures of flowers and things just out in nature and then showing how, look, there's the golden rule. 
there's the golden yes. rule. Like just all of yeah. that, that design and creative alignment. I just, I find that fascinating. So I hear you there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and you start to learn about how, um, how intricate, you know, some of these things are. And it's just like, wow, this is, you know, if I can, you know, I get inspired by people like Felipe Stark, um, who, who is a more of a creator than a designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has his hand in product design and um, interior design and, you know, you name it. He's kind of all over the place. And that I, I, I kind of shy away from the idea of calling myself a designer. I'm really more of a creator because if you put a problem in front of me, I'm going to solve it mm-hmm. no matter what it takes. Um, but there, there's something about, you know, going back to print, there's something about working with your hands that is just fulfilling in every way. Um, packaging design, you have to create multiple mock-ups mm-hmm. in order to get to that, that, that finish line. Um, but, you know, there's something about creating art or something that didn't exist before you. Mm-hmm. And now it lives in the world and people are interacting with it and all of that. So I, I, I think that, um, creating new things in this world is very important because the world needs to know everyone else's point of view and, and whatever they have to bring to the table. Yeah. Very cool. And I know what you mean by working with your hands. I used to run printing presses. Like that was my job. I was a pressman. Mm -hmm. And you know, now that I'm probably 10 plus years removed from that and I still, I'd love to get back on press. Yeah. Like just, just give me a business card. Let me see if I can do it. Let me see if I can. St- <laughs> let me see if I still got it. That's it's the challenge I, of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's the challenge of it, and just like the handling of the paper, loading it in, and pulling sheets out the other side, and yes. the smells, and all, all of the noises, all of that stuff, just sort of plays in um, to that that working with your hands experience, and and the feeling of just creating. Yes. Yes. And it's amazing what your body learns to do, like. At a certain point um, of those six years, I sort of trained myself to not even use a straight edge when I'm cutting with an X-Acto knife because I've cut so many die lines out. Like my body just knows to follow that straight line and how to handle <laughs> the knife. It's just amazing, like what your body gets accustomed to, and you know the, the skills that you learn by practicing. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, that is the skill I do not have, but I'm glad <laughs> that you have that. <laughs> um. Now, you've mentioned a couple of names here, and I want to ask you if you have a few more. Who are some of the designers and brands that you currently look up to and closely follow, and what about them do you like? Uh, I mentioned Felipe Stark, mm-hmm. Chip Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of illustrators that I, I'm really following, mostly because that's not my strongest suit. Um, I do some illustration, but it's not um, the thing that I lean on the most, Um so, uh, you know, burnt toast and, you know, people like that who, who make, you know, really awesome, happy illustrations. But um, I'm finding a lot of um, black um, illustrators and creatives and photographers that I'm really uh, getting into. And I'm, I'm trying to fill my house with as much artwork as possible. So mm-hmm. uh, if anybody has any ideas, reach out to me. I'd love to see it. <laughs> well, I'll send you a message after. My wife just bought some artwork from uh, a black artist and she just got it in the mail yesterday, I think. So I'll send, oh, you who, I'll send you who that was. Yes, please. But uh, yeah, it was just incredible work locally here. So I live in um, about half an hour to 40 minutes outside of Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're artists like right in our area. So we just wanted to shop local, keep it local. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I, 
I was a part of the the Dallas Society of Visual Communications. I was on the board for a couple of years. So I, I was able to connect with a lot of artists here in DFW. Cool. And it's amazing what, um, you know, our local city can um, produce. We have a lot of talent here. That's cool. So you must be near a military base, I'm going to assume. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> How could you guess that? Well, the jet, the jet flying over earlier on sort of, <laughs> sort of clued me in a little bit because <laughs> I'm okay. a... Yeah, when I was a kid, I had, uh, and I'm going to get off topic for a second here. When I was a kid, I had this jet wallpaper. My room, I was obsessed with jets. I love jets. So <laughs> I'll hear like jet engines, engines in the distance or something. I'll know, like, I'll, I'll know that, oh, that's a jet. That's a, you know, that's an F 14. Oh, that's a, you know, whatever it is, right? So, oh, that's awesome. Love jets. So I heard the jet going over. I'm like, oh, cool. She gets jets flying over. <laughs> I, just I also get, get a train going by too, but I don't get the horn. I just kind of get the, you know. The, oh, just the ambient noise of a train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Less exciting. Which I, I'm glad I don't get that, that you know, that horn. Because yeah, it's that's super true. Loud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keisha, I have to get into the tough stuff now. Um, I've got a few questions that go through part of your career where you've likely learned some lessons, made some mistakes, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. After that, okay. we'll end in a happy place, I promise. Okay, I like that. So <laughs> what has been the most challenging period of time in your creative career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? I think it's it's the recent switch from full-time to freelance. Mm-hmm. That was very, very scary. Um, going from something that, you know, you perceive to be secure, which nothing really is secure. We're all learning that yeah. hard lesson right now. <laughs> That's very um, true. Yeah. Um, but going from something that I thought was secure um, and, and then stepping out on my own and really leaning on, you know, making connections with people and closing deals and, you know, being a salesperson, which I had never been before mm-hmm. or I thought I wasn't, but I was actually selling. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, true. That that was probably the hardest thing because, you know, I recently bought a house and just got married. I mean, there's a lot riding on me mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that, you know, things were kept afloat. Um, and it, it was really more about just trusting um, my my abilities to to kind of make it work. You know, I, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, we have food on the table and the bills are paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned a lot in that uh, transition and really Right now, uh, the challenge I'm in is trying to delegate and pull in freelancers and make sure that I'm not holding everything tight close to my chest mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that I'm sharing the wealth and making sure that my friends are, you know, kept busy uh, because they have experienced, you know, being laid off or, you know, furloughed or whatever. I just want to make sure that everybody that, you know, that I know is taken care of and they have enough to do and they have some income coming in. And if I can help, I'm definitely going to do that. Definitely. That is uh, you know, a common challenge that I've heard from guests is that switch from, you know, full-time in-house, you know, quote unquote security to, you know, freelance where you got to hustle, you got to, you got to make yeah. those connections, you got to do the sales. And the two of the most challenging um, things with that, that I've heard is, is one, you hit it on the head with sales, you know, people who have never really been out there selling their services, building relationships, making connections, um, you know, that can be a challenge. But the other side of it is the the raw design feedback you're now getting. 
Because yeah. previously in-house, I'm going to assume that if a board didn't like your packaging design or a manager didn't like it, it was filtered through a manager and a manager, and you just got change this, change this, change this. Whereas, uh, Well, actually, no. I worked okay. directly with the buyers, and they, I mean, the products were their babies. <laughs> so they were pretty vocal, but they trusted me. You know, you yeah. build that trust over years, and, Definitely. you know, they'll say, you know, this is what I'm thinking, and they'll say, go do your thing. And I'll come back and I know how to sell to them because I know their personality and I know what they're looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't think of it in that way. I don't think that skill uh, of selling, you know, that that's not the word that I use. It was more of, you know, I'm presenting my ideas, but I'm actually selling to them. Um, So uh, it's those things that I want to be able to, you know, share with other designers like you are actually a salesman. Mm -hmm. Um, Think of it that way. And these are the skills that you need in order to be successful. Um, so I'm trying to to give back as much as I can to to people who uh, who maybe uh, are you know out there freelancing and and you know doing it for the first time, um, you know. So if anybody needs any advice, feel free to reach out to me. I'm definitely all about sharing and giving back. So that's awesome. Um, and you hit the nail on the head there too with the fact that everybody sells something. Yes. Everybody does, whether that's me trying to encourage my kids to get ready for school in the morning, whatever it is, I'm trying to sell my kids on the idea of getting ready and going to school. Yes. Everybody is a salesperson. It's just how it's framed. I think what's the scary part is the money talk, right? When Mm -hmm. you get to the, the, how much should I uh, charge or, you know, trying to figure out their budget. I mean, there are ways to get that information out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you just kind of throw something out there and see what happens. If their eyes get really big, then, you know, you may be a little bit too high, but know that you should have some sort of a, a, a a minimum or, or you know, a a number that you won't go below, Mm -hmm. you know? Because you didn't, you never want to sell yourself short. I've been in projects where I maybe quoted too low, and you know I, I didn't enjoy it. You know mm-hmm. because I, like, oh, I could be spending my time on something else or something that, you know, a passion project or something like that. Definitely. So, do you find that when you're in those situations and you are, you know, having that conversation, you've quoted something, you're about to give somebody a price. Do you feel mm-hmm. that you know? Okay, so say you have a thousand dollars as your minimum that you'll take for this job. Do you, you don't go in at that $1,000, do you? Or do you go in at, you know, $1,500 and then see what their reaction is? And if you win at $1,500, then happy days. Well, if my minimum is $1,000, um, then what's my maximum, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, there is a point where, like, this is a ridiculous number, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And this yeah. is a reasonable number. And what is my reasonable? And that's the number I want to share. We're, we're going to start there. You yeah. know, if it's, you know, if my minimum is 1000 then maybe... 7,000 is what I would like to have. So let's mm-hmm. start at what I would like to have because I think that's what I'm worth. Yeah. Um, and I have a certain process process of how I actually do things. I, you know, I take part of the agile methodology and apply it to the way I price and, and things like that. So I roadmap things and I have templates for, you know, how I price. Um, but, you know, you do have to pad that because um, things go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't just you can't say that you know yeah if I spend you know twenty hours on this it'll cost X amount because twenty hours is if you know best case scenario if everything goes right um, so what if things go wrong what's that number that's the number you should be pitching mm-hmm. oh yeah. great advice I like that so when you you made that transition 
you decided yourself, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I got to put food on the table. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Was there struggles with that? Did it seem to click more naturally and quicker than you expected? Or, or how did you power through and get to the point now where you are comfortable with that, with that freelance notion that you don't have that day job and regular paycheck, you are out there working for those paychecks? Um, it honestly was a little bit easier than I expected. Um, I worked with Bell Helicopter before I worked at this marketing agency, Mm -hmm. um, before I went out on my own and I went back and made a connection with him and said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about going on my own. Do you guys need another contractor? And so I, I really stepped out on a really good deal with them. Um, and, and being one of their go-to contractors at the time, uh, they were going through a rebrand. Uh, their name now is Bell, not Bell Helicopter. And so I was a part of that project. So I was a part of, um, you know, rebranding Bell Helicopter, which for me is personal because my grandfather uh, was a painter at Bell Helicopter for years. My wife's cool. dad works there now. Uh, her brother works there. So, I mean, it's it's, it's a family thing for me. Yeah. It's personal. So to be able to be a part of rebranding that and, you know, my grandfather, when he was still here, was able to see that I was a part of that. It was just, you know, something I took pride in. Um, but I was with them for a while and I, I got a little scared that all of my eggs were in, in one basket. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I'm giving them a little bit too much control over, um, over, over me, to be yeah. honest with you. So I tried to sort of diver- diversify my, um, my clients. And so I went from them to the Dallas, uh, federal reserve. Um, but you know, these are, big clients, right? These are huge clients. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that was like, you know, hitting two home runs and then it started to get complicated, but I had <laughs> some time to build up, you know, um, that confidence in selling and, and trying to land clients and yeah. it paid off. Um, and having those two big logos on your portfolio is a huge help when you're trying to to land a small business. So, yes, you know, they're yes. like, if they trust you, then I'll trust you too. Um, yeah. And of course, having Pure One Imports and Dell and all of that in my background helped as well. So, um, yeah, it, it became a little bit easier than I thought it would be. Um, and and right now I have a lot of contracts mm-hmm. with uh, companies. So I have clients come to me um, uh, or projects coming to me on a regular and I'm not really out there hunting and gathering as much as I used to. Um, But I'm still trying to make sure that, you know, if any of these contracts fall through, that I have something, you know, to fall back on. But um, right now I'm, I'm doing pretty well. So (laughs) I'm not concerned right now. (laughs) What a good setup though, that you, that you're totally right. You know, um, seeing who's in your previous network that you're connected to that you could leverage a little bit to sort of get some runway put down to sort of get started. Um, what a huge asset that is, right? A lot of my work has come from people I've worked with in the past. So don't ever burn bridges. I was literally just going to say that don't ever burn bridges. Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. No matter where you are, what state you live in, how small your design community is, word gets around if you're difficult to work with, Mm -hmm. uh, people will know before you even get there. So make sure that you're a good person (laughs) and you're treating people with respect and you're delivering on what you promise and you do good work and just do your best and let your reputation speak for itself. Good call. I like that. 
So I want to get a little bit more specific with this one, Keisha. This next one is take us to a specific design or a project that you were a part of that didn't go well or didn't bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? I don't think I have any of those stories for clients. It's usually personal, like passion projects, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, One of the reasons I landed the Pure One Imports job, Mm -hmm. and it was the very first, well, one of the first jobs where I had to rely mostly on on my, um, you know, being a salesman. (laughs) (laughs) The sales Um, skills, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed for a position that they thought wasn't great for me. And it was in a completely different um, team than I ended up in. And that was a year before I was actually hired. So um, I started to, um, during that year, I started to make ornaments for Christmas, like hand make ornaments. Um, And my first one was, uh, I made these little, uh, tiny little mittens that were um, made out of felt, and I, you know, I call them ornaments. <laughs> ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> but I put them together in this little, you know, package, and I ship them to uh, Pure One Imports, all the people that I interviewed with, and I say, you know, I just hope you have a happy holiday, you know, Merry Christmas, and um, nice you know, I got done. some some thank you note. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I want to make sure that they're still thinking about me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Um. I didn't know that that was a great idea. I was just like, well, let's see what happens. Um, but I started that tradition then, and every year I make a new ornament. So one year I, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and learn to create a mold, a two-part mold. Okay. And so I sculpted this wishbone out of clay. I ran a silicone mold, and I wanted to run resin through that mold. And this is the first time I've done any of this stuff. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, you know, YouTube helped me out. Thank you, YouTube. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of time on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, what do I need for this mold to release? You know, I made sure I had all my supplies. And then the first couple just did not turn out well. <laughs> I had to mold this thing a couple of times and, and make sure that I, um, you know, went back and watched more videos and all of that. So, um it was trial and error, but that taught me that, you know, just because it didn't work out the first time, you shouldn't give up. Um, but I don't think I have any of those stories with um, with clients, thank God. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. And that going back to, um, you know, you you. it's funny how you immediately went back to the craft of working with your hands <laughs> and creating with your hands, creating something tangible and physical, which directly aligns with print and packaging and the experiences that you can create tangibly with print and packaging. Yes. So I like that. It's all sort of interconnected. I like that. Yeah. When in doubt, use your hands. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That applies to so many things. (laughs) Um, So last tough one, what is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? I think I hinted on it. It was, you know, delegating and, and making sure that I'm 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 pulling in people when I'm overloaded, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my mom and I are both workaholics. <laughs> <laughs> Friends in the family, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad, but we get a lot done. Um, <laughs> um, but her, both her and myself, like I said, she sews. She's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I've been pushing her to hire people. I've been trying to do the same thing. 
and really just, you know, making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people who are way talented, more talented than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been my struggle is to, to, to find people that I trust. And I know that when I give uh, a project to them or hand over even a, a client to them, mm-hmm. that it's going to be taken care of just as well as I would or even better. Yes. So that's been the struggle is that if I can figure that out, then the sky's the limit, right? Um, so that's where I am right now. Yeah, that definitely can be tough, you know, handing over some of that, not necessarily creative control, but some of that decision-making process to somebody else Yes, and ensuring that the skill set is where you had envisioned and hope it is and Mm -hmm. that they're going to handle it, you know, in the way that you would handle it if you were doing it yourself. Right. And, and some people are really great at creating, but they're not great at, you know, connecting with people. Or communicating and in that's general. Communicating, connecting, right. um, you know, managing projects and, and, and people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always um, think back and say, if I have a question about the status of something, then I knew I know my client had it two days ago. Yeah. So I should have, you know, I should be on top. I, if I have a question on, you know, how long, how much longer is it going to take for me to do this? Then I need to communicate that to the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want someone who, 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 who does that and, and, you know, maybe can teach me their way of doing it and, and help me grow. Definitely. So I'm, I'm never, never in the, the mindset that I know how to do everything perfect. You know, there's always a better way to do it. Definitely. No, I agree. Always open to learning. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Okay, I'm going to turn this bus around here for you, Keisha. Okay. I want to know about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Hmm. Okay. I have one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the last projects I worked on at Pure One Imports, mm-hmm. uh, we were revamping the the fragrance wall which is a huge um a huge wall full of different uh fragrances in different forms and forms i mean reed diffusers candles um Mm -hmm. all these different forms that the the fragrance lives in and it it brings in a lot of money for them um but they wanted to revamp the whole thing so myself along with a couple of other um packaging designers i think Mm -hmm. there were three other two, two other packaging designers. Uh, we all collaborated and came up with the idea of doing like, um, going back to using our hands, uh, nice. <laughs> um, doing watercolor illustrations. So we were going to do it by hand, take it into Photoshop, mm-hmm. um, do some manipulation there, apply it to the packaging. Cause we wanted it to feel real. Like, you know, a human actually made this thing. Um, so at the time we had, um, uh, packaging designers, production uh, designers, uh, coordinators, I mean, a uh, bunch of different roles on the team. Mm-hmm. And there are like, I don't know how many fragrances, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were so many that there was no way that we were going to be able to do it all ourselves. So uh, we had the idea of pulling in the whole entire team, which I thought was awesome. Um, we had people who, you know, baked in their free time. You know, one of the ladies now owns her own bakery uh, here in town. Um, uh, a guy who's super 
super talented and, you know, does great illustrations and is just a great artist who was on the team. Um, so, you know, utilizing and tapping into those talents on the team. Um, when I say the, the, the lady who, who loved to bake, uh, we had one fragrance, uh, had something to do with icing and we had the idea of maybe she can pipe icing on, um, wax paper. We can take a photo of it, create a Photoshop brush and put that into the final artwork. So it was like, we were just trying to, um, make sure that we were using everything possible to make this the best it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tapping into people who weren't necessarily, you know, in the creative role. Mm-hmm. Everyone is creative in their own way. So we were just Definitely. trying to tap into whatever you wanted to contribute to that and made sure that everyone had a hand in creating this wall. And it was really, truly the entire packaging team creating this um, redesign. And it turned out amazing. Um, sales went up. Uh, things were great. And, you know, we had a lot of uh, positive feedback about um, the change in the store. And it's just something I would never forget because, you know, people were so excited to just be a part of this because it wasn't the norm. You know, people who um, just wanted to contribute their own little touch to it. And it was just it was a great, great experience. That's cool. So like dozens and dozens of SKUs of Yes. Of sense, essentially. Yeah. I think every fragrance had at least, and I'm going to completely guess here, at least 10 SKUs each. Wow. That may be cut short. There may be 15 each. I don't know. There was a lot. <laughs> so we could be in the vicinity of hundreds of SKUs of this packaging yes. that needed to be redesigned. Absolutely. Whoa. So what the, what the designers, myself and the other two did, we would create style guides for each fragrance. Yep. So here's the guide, here's how it should be applied. And we did the read diffuser and then we passed, passed it off to the production designers and they applied it to all the other SKUs. So we had to make sure that our files um, were easy to, to, to modify. You know, you can take off layers of a Photoshop file if you want to, you know, add peaches over here and here, you know, you can move things around. So it wasn't just flat artwork. You know, we had to make sure that this stuff, you know, was, you know, easy to use and, and you know, think ahead pretty much. So... Uh, it was it was a great project. I, I enjoyed every bit of it. That's awesome. What is the timeline for something like that? From from the point where they said we're going to redesign it all, and you have the idea to finished mm-hmm. boxes on the shelf. What's the timeline of that? Um, I think it was the same a year in advance. But you know, you have to think about production time, right? Yeah. Um, you have to produce. I think we had all new vessels for some of the products, so the products were being redesigned at the same time as the packaging. Um, and then we had, I think the, uh, some of the fragrances were printed, uh, the packaging was printed in the U S mm-hmm. and it had to be shipped to, um, China to, to their, um, plant to, to put it all together. So, I mean, there was a lot of moving pieces. Um, I think we turned it around in a matter of months. Um, I want to say, oh my gosh, it's been so long ago. <laughs> I want to say four to maybe six months. Mm-hmm. Um, do all of that, which is really, really fast. When it you're is really fast. So during that time, you, you guys are like head down. You're into yes, it. Yes. But it's not just that. We have, you know, um, other, you know, we have our normal workload. Plus we have, you know, uh, holidays, you know, it was probably during Christmas as, as well, which is one of our, our biggest uh, holiday ever. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it took a team. It was a village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Keisha, I'm going to wrap this up here with the ask it forward question. So this is a question where my last guest has a question for you, and then you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay, so the me. question for you um, is from my last guest, who was Daryl J. Pinnock from DP Creates. He's also um, a podcaster of the Passion Behind the Art podcast. And he, uh, did to, he wanted to ask you, uh, what are you doing to help racial inequality? Being black. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. <Mic drop>. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. I am, and I know I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I am usually the only, the only one of me in the room. So I'm making sure that my voice is heard mm-hmm. and that I'm speaking up when I'm seeing something that's not right or making them think differently. You know, um, I had one instance where, um, a client brought me on to do um, artwork for the the headquarters and they had multiple buildings and he had started one of the guys had started to select photos and he laid them all out. And, you know, we need to go in this direction. And I'm, I'm like, OK, where's the diversity? He's like, well, we have a couple of men, women over here. And I was like, that's not what I'm talking about, you <laughs> yes. know, but in his eyes, he was he was basically um uh, that's his his reality, right? He had only interacted with, you know, people who look like that and people mm-hmm. who look like him, you know. But mm-hmm. I have people in my family who are in the army, and you know, my experience is completely different. So I, everything that I do, I try and bring my reality to the table. You know, you know, there's even someone that I'm working with right now. Um, and they were talking about maybe putting out a public statement. And I'm like, well, maybe we shouldn't. And here's why, you know, here's a different perspective on things because mm-hmm. how about we just do the work and be good people and let that speak for itself uh, and change things from the inside out. Um, so I'm, I'm having those tough conversations with people and making sure that, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of people check in on me, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I'm also educating people of how they can be a better ally to the black community mm-hmm. and uh, and and how they can make things better, not only with me, but, you know, with, you know, talk to your family, mm-hmm. you know, speak up when people are saying things and doing things that they shouldn't be. Um, if someone's bold enough to do it around you, who knows what they're doing when you're not around. Mm-hmm. So uh, just make sure that you're not removing yourself from tough situations, that you're actually speaking up and doing something. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't listened to that episode, I think it went up. Actually, you know what? It went up today. So you probably haven't had a chance to listen to it. Um, <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah, but Daryl and I spend about 10, after he asks this question, um, we spend about 10 minutes um, of the episode on the topic. So it's super interesting, um, the conversation that we have back and forth. And he, he mentioned one thing to me that I found really interesting and stuck out to me because, well, all of this is happening as a white male. I've been doing learning and reading and trying to understand all of this, um, <clears throat> trying to learn and grow from it. And I said to him, you know, I didn't want, I have this little p- platform, the Quickie Podcast. I have a platform. Um, and I said to him, I don't want to be the white guy asking my black friends what I should do. I don't want to do that. Um, And he said, but why not? Because if I wanted to learn about cars, I would go ask my friend that knows about cars. (laughs) True. I I thought that's a really interesting perspective. So it's good that I'm doing that my own stuff. But if there's questions, I guess just don't be afraid to ask. 
don't be afraid to ask, but also don't come to the, the conversation with, you know, ignorance that you can avoid. Right. There's a lot yes. of information out there. Yes. Um, so try and educate yourself before you come to a conversation. So you at least come with some knowledge yeah. um, and you're not asking questions that can easily be answered with a Google search or watching a documentary or something like that. Totally. That almost is line for line from this book I'm, I'm going through right now called So You Want to Talk About Race. Mm. And, and that's like exactly the thing. Don't come into these conversations completely naive, having done no work or put any effort in expecting somebody else to do the lifting for you. Don't do that. Because then it seems kind of superficial, right? Yeah. You're doing this to make yourself feel better. And that's not helping anyone. Well, not so even you. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So check out that episode. We get a really interesting conversation. Um, Akisha, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest? Oh, okay. Ooh. Okay. So I want to know um, what they think the future of design or, you know, the creative industry, uh, how it will look in five or 10 years. What do they think that the, um, the current um, situations that we're in with COVID, mm-hmm. uh, with, with people speaking up about uh, racial injustice, and even with Adobe, um, uh, making a lot of uh, AI tech available. Um, how do you think that's going to impact how we work with clients and, you know, what's going to shift? Mm-hmm. I like it. Perfect. I'm going to ask that question of my next guest. And Keisha, you've made it to the end of the Quickie Podcast. Yay. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate your time and being on the show here. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. All right. All right. That is the end of today's conversation. Thank you so much for checking out the Quickie Podcast here. We will be back again next week. There's a whole bunch of episodes, over 200 of them back in the old catalog for you to check out if you're new to it. And if you are interested in graphic design for print, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, but head over to printdesignacademy.com. No strings attached training. I just want you to get started with print design because it's awesome. Printdesignacademy.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later.